Okay, so this is our introduction for um, Boston Faith and Justice's podcast. Let's talk faith and justice. This is episode, leave a blank space here for Ivy to fill in, 16? I think 17. Okay. Episode 17, which is just amazing. We're so thankful um, for all of the conversations we've been able to have and for the people that have engaged with us, for the people that are listening. Um, This has just been a wonderful experience for us. And we're hoping and believing that it has been um, beneficial to our community and will continue to be so. And today's conversation is very much in line with that. We're looking forward to you guys hearing it. Um, I had a conversation with Kelly Fassett of Unite Boston, who just has such a heart for the city and um, has been doing this work for a while and has great insights and wisdom. And so it was really fun. It was a really fun conversation. I've known Kelly since almost when I started at Boston Faith and Justice. So it was nice to just sit down in front of our computer screens and have a conversation about the work. So I think it will be a blessing to, to everybody who listens. But as Ivy and I were talking about kind of this week and and what we wanted to talk about when we got together for our little pre-podcast time, we were just considering the conversation we're cultivating right now around climate change. And we thought, let's talk about our own thoughts and experiences, for lack of a better word, around climate change. So that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes and just invite people who are listening to to think about how it connects to their own story like how how is climate change connected to us personally or professionally in our communities um in the way we're thinking and i think that's a way to enter into the conversation which seems so large and out there and sometimes distant and sometimes super close read 90 degree days in september huge heat wave um so Ivy, as we were thinking about doing that, like what came to mind for you? Like, like here's Ivy and climate change. Yeah. So I was thinking about the analogy that you use oftentimes about, you know, like the on-ramp to some of the things that we focus on and whether mm-hmm. you're in like the slow lane or the middle lane or, or like you're just full on in the fast lane, like, you know, doing so much in that area. And I think for me, I'm definitely more in the slow to middle lane, like maybe I'm merging over at this point. Um, Because I feel like sometimes the topic does seem a little bit overwhelming and that there's so much to know and so much that we need to do, you know, especially as Christians and being stewards over God's earth. Um, But I have found, you know, even from Lazarus that I participated in, I think it was last year, Mm -hmm. um, like the small things that we can do, especially when we talk about like global poverty um, and how that affects climate change. But I think about, you know, the amount of water bottles, you know, that we utilize in our home. And my brother had mentioned to me yesterday that the governor, you know, put out a a ban that there's going to be a ban on single use plastic bottles um, in Massachusetts. And so I um, am definitely in a space where I'm trying to learn more and soak up, you know, that knowledge, but in a way that's, that I don't overwhelm myself um, in doing so. And so I feel like I have a long way to go, but I definitely am a little bit more mindful than I was at this time last year. So I'm growing. Yeah, which is like the idea, right? And like you're saying, it's so much about like the way we talk about a lot of things, right? Like a lot of things we talk about are overwhelming. I mean, we just finished kind of a focus on housing justice, which also felt overwhelming in a very different way, right? And so often the way we respond to that, just our human nature is like, it's too much. And so how do we with climate change 
it it is it's objectively too much. So how do we find those ways to engage? Um, and it's one of those things that like, yes, personally, we all can and should be doing things differently and better. But like recognizing that, like, that's especially with climate change, like it, it in order for change to happen, like it has to rise to the level of community and government and world in order to make a difference, um, which is its own overwhelmingness. So anyway, for me, one of the things I've been thinking about, first of all, our recycling, we have like three recycling bins. My husband takes it to a what is it called? Like a single stream recycling. So we don't even have to separate. So it's whatever. But then learning, I think I posted an article a couple of weeks ago about like what some, uh, some things that like end up making your recycling not recyclable with the whole plastics issue aside, because we recognize that like plastic recycling is not necessarily happening. Um, but like, so my thought just to speak to your personal thing was like, okay, how can I lean more into the refuse piece of refuse, reduce, reuse recycle um as refuse being the first option and like stop having all of that stuff i mean it's it's from food stuff mostly and so like one small thing is like i stopped buying the plastic orange juice my younger daughter loves orange juice but you can also get it in the cartons right um so there's one single use plastic that's not being used right and another question i have and i don't know if anyone around here can answer this question, but it's like, how can I stop getting so much junk mail? Now we have a wood burning stove, so we burn a lot of it, but it's still not ideal, right? Like, and also in the summer months, like our, it gets really high, the pile of things to burn. Um, so I want to like, that's one of my to do, like, I want to investigate, like, how can I like get these people to stop sending me junk mail? Yeah, that's a great point because when I think about like the amount of things that I don't even bother to like look at or open that come in the mail, I'm just like recycle, recycle. But how, and maybe even as an organization, like that can be like a, a you know, something that we focus on generally about, you know, how do we do this? And then, you know, starting like a campaign of, you know, more getting more people engaged in that, because I think mm-hmm. that those are some of the small ways that, you know, once it can start a domino effect, you know, if you and I start doing that and we share it within, you know, BFJN and our larger communities of, you know, those are the things that can make such a larger impact um, because those aren't things that, you know, everybody thinks about, um, but can have a lasting, you know, impact. Um, yeah. Also mentioned with recycling, I think I was sharing this with you last week that, you know, we got a, a letter in the mail about what's recycle, what's not, and how you have to, you know, separate certain things. And it was very, that even reading that was like, can't recycle this, this, that, and the other thing. And it was like, well, then why do I even recycle in the first place? And so it it's, brings back to one of those other overwhelming things. And so how, like, I just feel like I wish there were a lot more systems that make it easier to, you know, be mindful and to recycle or what have you, then things that seem to make it more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, recycling to, to recycle correctly, I guess, is definitely a challenge, right? Because again, I think it was in that article from a couple of weeks ago about like any piece of food waste being in, you know, what you recycle, like that can pollute a whole load of recycling and have make it get tossed so like now I run like my glass spaghetti jars like through the dishwasher like before I recycle them hopefully that that helps right but then I'm filling my dishwasher I don't know there's yeah there's a lot there's a lot of moving parts right and I mean and I think also there's a challenge to reduce 
like a lot like ethical consumption, like it it can be more expensive, right? To buy things that were produced in an environmentally sustainable way, which like if we have economic choice, I think that should be a priority. But not everyone has that choice. So it's like there's also so many different ways to engage. Um, and and a lot of them do come with from a place of privilege. Like, okay, I have the privilege to do this. So therefore I definitely should, right? Um but I think that should always be part of the conversation too, because environmentally friendly things are just, they're more expensive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And we should mention, we're very excited about the book we're going to be reading. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it's either already happened and we're done and sorry, we missed you, or it's starting next week. Um, and I just want to say like, I, this book is just, it just had a profound impact on me. Um, and the way I think not just about I think I said this in something else I've written for us, but like not just about the environment, right? And my relationship to it, but yes, it was very helpful for that. But just also more this like meta idea of like what my faith requires of me in terms of caring for the people around me and seeking the thriving of my neighbor. Like seeking the thriving of our neighbor is so connected to environmental justice, right? Because like so many things, marginalized communities, vulnerable communities, people of color, like are just disproportionately impacted. And so my faith requires that I pay attention to this thing that's hard and overwhelming. But like the book was just helpful in how to engage with that. It it didn't pull any punches, probably not a great metaphor, but like, but it also was gentle in the ways that it was like, we're all struggling with this. We're all on a journey. It wasn't, I didn't feel judged by it, but I did feel challenged. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's helpful. And something that I'm definitely looking forward to in those spaces of community, as we have with various other books that we've read. Um, But how can we take on that challenge in a way that's non-judgmental, you know, also knowing that we've connected with the author and that he's going to, you know, be doing a podcast for us and joining the book club. So if you haven't, you know, already registered, please make sure you register because it's definitely something that will have a profound impact um, that there is hope in, you know, the future Mm. and the change that we're able to make. And I think as you had mentioned, you know, not in a way that is judgmental, but, um, you know, it, it, it's discipleship and it's something that we are called to as Christians. And so, um, thankful that we have chosen as an organization to focus on this area. Yeah. Same, same. And we do have a few more books that we would share with, um, the people who sign up. So, yeah, that's it's a great book. Um, okay, well, we could obviously have this conversation for hours because there's so many different areas, but we will end it here for now to be continued. Obviously, this is something we're engaging with specifically for this season, for the fall and early winter, but just like housing justice, it's not something we're going to ever put down. We want to continue to cultivate conversations and encourage ways that people can engage to make a difference. So we will end our conversation now and, and send you into my conversation with Kelly of Unite Boston, which will definitely be a blessing to everyone who hears it. Um, Her ministry, again, is so so impactful and just a really unique um, presence in Boston that has been um, profound over the, I think, 13 years that she's been doing it. So yeah, so definitely stay and listen to that. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks for something else. Sounds good. really excited to be here talking to Kelly Fassett of Unite Boston. Um, she's going to talk to us about her organization and some things she has going on and just um, her vision for Boston and and her work. So I don't want to do much of the talking. I'll just do the questioning. So Kelly, I'm really thankful that you're taking the time. Um, I know you've got a lot going on, especially right now. 
with um, Unite Boston. And um, I'm just looking forward to hearing you talk about your work and um, your passion for it. Because anytime we've been in the same spaces, which is, you know, frequently over the years, um, I'm always really impressed with your passion and your vision and your commitment to what you do. So I'm excited for our community, um, which I'm sure has a lot of overlaps with Unite Boston, but to um, to hear from you. So can you talk a little bit about your story that led you to um, founding Unite Boston? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Elizabeth. It's really fun to be on your podcast. I've listened to a few episodes and just grateful how you cultivate relationship and awareness of God's work in the city um, towards greater justice. So so thank you. Um, yeah, so what led me to Unite Boston? Um, I grew up in the Southwest and moved to, or to uh, Boston in 2008 to join a rowing team on the Charles. So I was really into crew and wanted to try to make the national rowing team. And uh, a year into that, I woke up one day and was sitting on my boat and had no desire to row. And I just said, okay, God, if why am I in Boston if I'm not here for rowing? And I felt, felt the Lord speak to me pretty clearly. One of the most clear things I've ever heard and I heard you're here to unite my bride. Ooh. That's an intense thing to hear from God, but Definitely. Um, that led me to really pray and seek and understand what does uniting Jesus bride, the, the body of Christ, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, so I began to go around the city, meet different people. I was in my mid twenties at the time. Um, saw a lot of churches doing a lot of great things, but no one knew what everyone else was doing. Mm. So we started a newsletter in 2010, September. So it's almost been 13 years now. So that's crazy. Wow. Um, and it was a newsletter that we called Unite Boston. It was of all the different events going on in the city, um, just trying to help create greater awareness, interconnection. And we sent it to our friends. And everyone started sharing it and adding people to it. And we soon realized we needed a website to house this information and churches and church leaders wanting to put their information on there. So um, it started building pretty quickly. At the same time, some church leaders were asking, who are you guys? What are you doing? And we were like, we don't know, you know, but um, mission, vision, values, these kinds of organizational development started forming as well with our core leadership. And then we became a nonprofit in 2012. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning. Um, yeah. We started kind of thinking if you go behind the scenes, right? So what's okay. what's the mental model that's driving this? I think we used to think if we got everyone connected through an infrastructure of communication, then we would bring about unity, um, kind of using the internet and, and different tools like that. Mm-hmm. And I think we discovered that's a piece of it. It's still something we do and we do pretty well of having our website and a weekly newsletter of events and stories. But we also soon realized the depths of the divisions were way deeper and more pervasive <laughs> than we ever imagined, than I ever imagined. 
Um, so that actually took me to seminary um, when I started at Gordon Conwell. And I was like, why are churches so divided? You know, there's Catholics and Protestants and uh, mainline and evangelical and orthodox. And we all say Jesus is Lord and Savior, but we're all separated in our little enclaves and and what happened and what can we do about it? Mm. So yeah, I started Gordon Conwell, ended up finishing my degree at BU School of Theology. Um, and yeah, I would say um, gleaned a lot from both places, um, especially BU's um, Peace and Reconciliation um, Peace Building courses, and um, which I know, Elizabeth, you know pretty well. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we started trying to get people who were very different from each other in the same room, mm. seeing that at the heart of the unity God wants is deep relationships across difference. And um, it's easy to point fingers and to talk about the other Mm -hmm. and know everything about the other, but getting people together in intentional ways actually fostered that um, like revealing stereotypes and things that we believe that actually were untrue and fostered greater connection and, and reconciliation that's at the heart of what God wants for us. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Just thinking about, as you were saying, like bringing people together like that, first of all, physical proximity, but also like you said, just, we, it's so easy to have an idea of someone in your head when you're not, when they're not in front of you or when you're not in relationship or when your work doesn't overlap intentionally. So um, I think that's such a beautiful piece of like breaking down those boundaries and, and some of the things that keep Christians apart as in, in personal level, but also institutionally um, churches. So that's really cool. Um, so I just wanted to follow up on that idea. So you're kind of walking us through the journey of how you started. Would you say that um, as you started kind of being in relationship with more people and kind of convening these things, is that um, where you kind of caught that larger vision that like, okay, this is something that we're going to do like um, long-term and it's going to have different arms and, and all of these things, like you said, kind of moving it offline or not moving it offline. Cause you, like you said, you're still online, but moving it also offline. Mm-hmm. And really trying to get people in the room together and better relationship across these historic divides um, became really at the heart of yeah. what we do. And so we, I think we started thinking really big, um, thinking we needed to bring everyone together for these big worship nights and um, just big events. And we, you know, I think that's important convening the larger Christian community, but equally or even more important is the small spaces of actually discovering how to better love our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, What's God doing in my heart when I see this person or when they say this thing, where is that coming from? Um, What can I do to better love that person, even though they're different from me, even though they believe maybe a very different thing um, theologically or politically? Mm -hmm. Um, And what does love really look like? there. Um, so we, we've 
We launched some neighborhood dinner groups where Christians in their neighborhood were um, getting to know each other and discovering God's mission in that locale. Um, we've done some learning groups around racial equity and justice with Be the Bridge, um, which has been really transformative. Um, we just launched a cohort this year of 12 church leaders, mainly the next generation across really diverse spectrum of um, race, denomination, belief, you know, cultural, all the things <laughs> to like kind of be a microcosm of really uncovering what does unity look like? What does it mean to stand with you in this? And how do we um, take what we learn and, and bring it to the larger um, Christian community? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. That sounds awesome. Um, and like the really important kind of hard and almost slower work of building yeah. unity. Um, so thinking about that and and maybe what you see both as challenges and opportunities for individuals who are hopefully listening and engaging with this or as you encounter people, like what what are some steps people can and should be taking if they're like, I want to break down these barriers, I feel siloed or whatever. What are ways that people can engage? And like in your 13 years that you've seen, like, what are some of the biggest obstacles and what are some of the biggest opportunities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, unfortunately, the world seems more polarized uh, and siloed than ever. I think that's a result of the pandemic in combination with the way social media and news works. You tend to only want to make time to listen to the people who agree with you. It's also just like physiologically, mm-hmm. it's taxing. It's like mentally exhausting to have your ideas or your um, mental models challenged. And so it's easier to be with people who look like you, believe like you, think like you. But that's not the kingdom. And right. so taking a deep look at your social circles, who who is there? And who is not there? Mm-hmm. And if you start thinking about that, who whose perspective do you really need to hear from? Who might you want to do coffee with and hear? Like, I don't say, say there's someone that's um, not sure about the LGBTQ community and their role in the church. Have you ever heard a personal perspective on that? Mm-hmm. And like actually wrestled with the reality of their lived experience, or is it just a theological thing? So balancing, um, there's there's this concept called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, um, and how he did theology is um, balancing um, the Bible, tradition, reason, and experience. And I think we do ourselves wrong when we kind of focus only on one of those four buckets. Mm-hmm. And so I always encourage people to to really wrestle and think about all those parts of, of any kind of theological conviction when they're um, thinking about that. So that's like one thing I always encourage people is just like get beyond your context. Yeah. Make a new friend. <laughs> like, right. It doesn't have to be a friend. You just just get to know someone new, like yep. race. Like I'm, I've discovered so much by making friends and being in a neighborhood that's predominantly black and going to a church that 
I'm the minority and sitting under the leadership of a great woman pastor, Pastor Valerie Copeland, mm-hmm. a neighborhood church. Like that's been super transformative for me. And you start to see your own biases and blind spots in ways that I think nothing else can. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, and I appreciate you naming kind of those pieces of Christianity that depending on your tradition, if you look at those four aspects, you can kind of know, okay, this is, this is definitely ours. And then the other, maybe there's like one or two in the outer circle. And almost always there's like that outlier one. It's like, oh, my tradition doesn't really pay attention to that. Um, and so I appreciate you naming that in terms of like, great, but what if we kind of saw the richness in all of it and, um, didn't exclude, um, for that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's really helpful. So thinking about the work you've been doing for 13 years, I just love that. So you guys have been around for so long. Um, what are so, some highlights that you would say, like, here's some amazing things where I really saw God working, um, over the past uh, 13 years. Yeah, I would say some of our larger gatherings have been really cool. Um, and really transformative for a lot of individuals who are part of them. Um, we did a large, uh, prayer gathering in 2017, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, um, with the eight co-presiders from different Christian traditions. There was about mm-hmm. 600 Christians from all backgrounds, including um, Cardinal Sean O'Malley, a lot of Catholics, um, all praying together and doing this prayer service for Christian unity that year. And that was really a standout moment, I think, for a lot of people. Um, in terms of being the church that God wants us to be. Um, also, our our concerts. Um, mm-hmm. Some people know us for for these concerts, and they keep asking about it, which, by the way, we have one coming up September 30th. Um, join us. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, but there's something that's really cool about being in a large body of, of believers. I think in New England, we can get really isolated and Mm. feel like we're the only ones out there who are doing God's work. Um, There's so many out, so many, so much opposition and and the secularism in our world is really prominent, especially in this context. So being in a large gathering with Christians, just is really uplifting and enlightening thing for so many. Um, So yeah, and I would say some of the like relationships across divides and and um that we've nurtured and and fostered um yeah, the individuals who are involved in some of our learning groups and the transformation they've had personally um all of that has been and I would say hiring Devlin and now Calvin and having this incredible team uh where we all are very different, but we've synergized well, really well together. And that has been really transformative, both for my own personal journey, but primarily through the leadership of Unite Boston and how that shapes and sharpens where we go as an organization. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That That's great. Um, congrats on that. I know you just added someone to your team. That's awesome for small nonprofits to have kind of those, like you said, different perspectives and lenses and also people just to share in the work and the passion that you have that like you can um, be co- alongside other people. Um, and I will say I've been to the Unite Boston concerts and um, 
the Be The Bridge group that you did. And I am just really thankful for your work because I have definitely been impacted by it. So um, your faithfulness to your call is just um, definitely something that encourages me. So thank you for the work that you do. Um, and on that note, I mean, we just mentioned the concert, but what are some ways that people can connect with your work? I mean, obviously you're a nonprofit, donate. Um, I don't know if you have volunteer needs, but we're always, our community, we're always like trying to connect people to become donors, advocates, and volunteers. So how can, how can people connect with you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you can go on our website, uh, uniteboston.com and at the bottom, you can sign up for our newsletter. I would say that's the best way to stay in touch with Unite Boston. Um, we send out one email a week that not only has featured events where any church can post an event they're having, but also stories, blogs, videos, photos. It's like a snapshot of what God is up to in the city. And we're always looking for good content if you have a testimony or things to share with us too. Mm-hmm. Um, you can reach me at kelly at uniteboston.com. I'd love to connect if you're interested in volunteering or getting involved in Unite Boston. We have all sorts of different opportunities with that, um, helping out to run different events and initiatives. Also, a lot of what we've done has been based out of the dreams of individuals who come to me and said, I want to see this happen. There's a woman named Rebecca said, we need a Christian singles meetup group. So we launched, I helped her launch something for all Christians in the city to meet up on Zoom calls together. Um, And there's like story after story about that. So if you dream of something that impacts or it relates to kind of the whole body working together, it'd be fun to to chat with you. Because I think um, we're kind of stuck. We need to foster more of an ecclesial imagination. of what the church can yes. and should be yep. instead of being like here. It's like, no, we're not just here. We need to be this. So mm-hmm. if you're dreaming there, talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's oh. know what to do. And even if it's not through Unite Boston, I'll connect you with others who might be able to run with you and make that happen. That's awesome. I love that ecclesial imagination. Um, I think that's beautiful and and really true. So that's great. So hopefully people can connect with you. And like you said, you have the concert um, September 30th. Is that right? Yeah, September 30th. Um, we've got uh, Boston Flourish, which is a collaborative effort with a couple other organizations. That's November 16th. Um, and some prayer events in January. And um, we're actually, De- Devlin and Calvin and I are working on um, t- taking a big picture look at what we do mm. and realizing it's not just getting different people in the room. We need to think about power dynamics and historical things that have contributed to these injustices. Mm. So we've we've identified three barriers to unity and we're kind of developing a plan to address them. Um, so yeah, the barriers we've identified are like right now, this is all a work in process, but I love it. Balanced theology kind of related to that. Um, what I was talking about earlier with the Wesleyan quadrilateral, um, righteous hubris, which is a term that we've been talking about, like this idea, it's like, I'm right. Everyone else is wrong and everyone just needs to be like me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, 
and then historical injustices. Okay. And so all of these have contributed to um, disunity, division, injustice, and um, we're thinking about how that can be addressed and like, what is our unique role? And we're not trying to be the end all be all in addressing all these things, but where is our lane? How can we partner with others in some of these barriers? Yeah, that's great. Stay tuned. Um, That's really great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, And if any final thoughts or anything you want to share, I think that's all I had to ask you. And I'm so thankful for your story and everything you've shared. Yeah, no, thank you um, for letting us be part of this podcast. Um, I think unity is something Jesus prayed for. Um, Mm -hmm. It was his dying prayer on the cross, uh, or the last recorded prayer in scripture was that he prayed that we would be one as he is one with the Father, so that the world will know. Mm -hmm. And so if Jesus prayed it, it really matters, (laughs) you know. what does that unity look like in our world that's so divided and so many differences? I think um, it's something we need to we need to all take to heart and pursue. Yeah. So, so thanks for your part in that too with the Boston Faith and Justice Network and how you're cultivating those those connections and and people working for the flourishing of the city we're part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's good good and hard work, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Elizabeth.